Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. We are going to conclude our series on our core values that you see on the wall over there to live, connect, grow, and go. And today we're talking about go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Core values, as a reminder, is something that we all have, whether we're corporations, businesses, families, institutions, and churches. It's those set of things that you believe in your core that then will help you direct your paths. Core values are the deeply held beliefs that authentically describe an individual or an organization. We've been using these three circles for the last month now. You should be familiar with them, that the core values that you have will create behavior. You'll act on what you believe. If you believe that when you switch that light switch on, the lights will turn on, that belief motivates you to a behavior so you walk to the wall and you flip the switch because you believe that it will turn on. Just that simple. Based on your value system, you will have behaviors. Those behaviors then will create some sort of atmosphere around you in your home, in your business, in your company, in your family, and of course, in the church. So this is where we're after. This is what we've been pursuing for the last month as we talk about our core values. Of course, that for us, they all come from the Bible. That is our, that is the authoritative word of God, amen? And then that creates behavior in us. And churches uh, not always do well in that because that which you say is a core behavior may not be, or that which you say is a core value may not actually be a core value. You just say it's a core value. Okay, I'll try that again. You just say to everybody what your core values are, but your behavior tells them differently right? We call those people hypocrites. And so um, that's the behavior that we want is set on principles that come from the Bible. And that for us creates a culture, a culture of honor where we honor one another, a place of, as we like to say, real and relevant relationships with one another and with each other. So our reoccurring slogan for this morning, which you will have in your heart as you leave, I pray, today is this. You can go and you can do it. You can go and you can do it. So just write that down as as we're going to navigate through what it means to go. Of course, these, these core values that we have all have scripture underneath of them, and they are all quotes of Jesus, red letters from the Bible, and then today is no different. He said in Mark chapter 16, He, being Jesus, said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go. These are our marching orders. To go. To go and do. You can go and you can do it. Or you can go and you can do it. Of course, you can go and you can can do it, you can go and do it. You can go and do it. You see how many sermons I have to preach today? It's going to be tough, but I think we might get through it together. We're going to start here, and it's with, a, it's with a phrase you may be familiar with. It says that Jesus didn't say to the world that you should go to church. Essentially, he said to the church that you should go to the world. If you've never heard that before, you should take a picture of that and write it down because that's really the heart of what the church is about. Because a lot of energy in my Bible training, a lot of energy in the Bible studies that you possibly have done or the churches you've attended, a lot of energy is expended in trying to get people to come to church. And Jesus said, no, you got that all wrong. You got that wrong. You should go to the world not the world come to the church. 
It's rare that a backsliding, heathen, God-hating person says, I think I'll go to church today. No, no. You get to represent Christ to them. And this, believe it or not, this place called the church, or in Greek, the ekklesia, means the gathering of believers. This is not the evangelistic center that some churches have made it to be. Yes, the evangel, the good news, should be preached here. We should all know it. That's milk. We talked about that last week. But this is where we come to get meat because this is the gathering of the church. I said, this is the gathering. If you're an unbeliever here today and you're not saved and you don't know God and somebody drug you here or you just happened to show up here this morning, congratulations, you're weird. <laughs> you're an anomaly because generally speaking, unsaved people don't come to church because the church by definition is the gathering of the believers. So then how does this thing called, the organism called the church move forward? Well, we get saved, we get connected, and we just continue to grow until we're just obesely fat in the spirit realm. No, there needs to be something that happens after you get a little bit of information. Those disciples walked with Jesus for a couple years, and then he said, out of the nest, boys. Well, I don't have enough information. Hand to heaven, you will never have enough information. Stop using that as an excuse for not going. All right? We are a living, breathing organism, the church, just like, you, just like you are. So let's all inhale and hold it. You're not going to last very long, I'll guarantee you. Until you do what? Exhale. If, I mean, someone's laying dead on the floor. You run over to them. Maybe you put your hand on their chest or you, or you listen to the chest to hear the beating of the heart. But then the next thing you do, where's my CPR folks? You're going to put your ear, you're going to put something over their mouth. You're going to feel if they have what? Respirations. Are they breathing? If something's alive, you are breathing. We inhale. That's the, that's the inhalation of bringing people in, getting them connected and growing. But if the church is not exhaling, hello, it's not growing. It's just that simple. You've heard metaphor upon metaphor upon metaphor from everything from the Dead Sea with fresh water coming in and nothing going on and dying to all. But have you considered the fact that the church has to exhale? The church must Go. That's the go of the church. Now, don't get me wrong. It's great to have the church filled. It's great to have this, this, this building filled, I mean, with uh, excited, uh, worshiping believers. But a full church is only a tool. It's not the end game. It's not the end game. It's not the goal. There's a goal beyond that. Because we're just a tool to reach the world. Uh, really, there's been too many times in history that the goal has only been to gather people. All the while, the neighbor or the neighborhood literally and spiritually go to hell. Yeah. A church should make a difference in both of those realms. Amen. So there's two things that happen in a church service, like today. Number one, we come together, we magnify Jesus. We magnify Jesus, the Christ. But then what? You all should go having been uh, better equipped to love That'd be a good idea. When you leave, you're entering into the harvest field. So you come to worship Jesus, but when you go, my responsibility is to help educate you, motivate you, stir you, mm, correct, rebuke, and exhort you. Hello, hearken to last week. To do what? Get out of here. Go, shoo, shoo. Go, go do it. Well, I just want to hang out with my Christian friends. Oh, it'd be so great to work at the church, just around Christian people all day. Never have to worry. And just, just work in a Christian environment and just don't hang out with Christian people. That's not what Jesus said. He said, go to the highways, go to the byways. Right. Go do it. So we got 12 of them together. They didn't do such a great job. They're all arguing. Who's going to be the most important, Jesus, you or me? <laughs> James or John? I want to sit at your right hand. What a, Jesus was so thrilled with how... They did things. He got 72 more together. And then he sent out 72. And they came back. 
Oh, so they just didn't believe. And, but Jesus said, I don't care. Just keep throwing the seed. Your responsibility is just to go and to continue to sow. Just keep going and sowing. So I'm going to give you a little inside baseball this morning on how to measure a healthy church. So take a look at this slide. This is going to bring uh, some clarity for some of you. And it's not designed to bring confusion at all. What we have is an acronym called APEST. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, or pastor, and teacher. It's, it has an acronym called APEST. And you can see by these little uh, hieroglyphics around here what, what primarily they're all about. But is the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and teacher. If you want to know, hey, is that a good church? Do you go to a good church? Is that a good church? I don't know. How do you even tell? Oh, well, they got all these programs or whatever, or the preaching's really good. Those are things to consider. But you, I can give you here criterion that you should write down in the back of your Bible to determine whether or not a church is really a good church. Are they being apostolic? Are they advancing the kingdom? Is there a master plan? Is the church prophetic, foretelling and forthtelling? Are they hearing from God? and then telling you what the Lord says. Are they evangelistic? Is it all about them, or are they concerned about their community? Are they concerned about the lost? What's going on evangelistically in that church? Is there shepherding happening in that church? If somebody's sick, if somebody's in trouble, uh, is everybody being taken care of as best as possible? And then is there quality teaching happening? That's how you tell whether a church is a good church or not. I don't know if you know that or not, but this will help you from here on out is when you, put, you apply an APEST criterion to the organization. And I'm not here to unpack what all those offices do. That's, that's other teaching for another time. So if you look at the APEST and you say, oh, man, we come together, we, we've got worship, we sit in class, we learn, we strategize, we prophesy to each other. But if there's no, if there's no go and do... If you're just sitting around, listen, we all love the pastor gift. We all love the pastor gift. Why? Because the pastor cares for us. The pastor is the shepherd. How you doing? You doing all right? How's the temperature in here? You good? Was the coffee all right today? Did you, were you greeted when you came in? Did somebody smile at you? How's it, how, how you? How you feeling? Did you have a good week? What's your middle name? What's your grandkid's name? Where are you working now? We all like that, right? That's pastoring 101. So, of course, we elevate the gift of pastor because they take care of us. They make us feel good. They put their arm around us, right? But we need all five of those gifts in operation in a healthy church because if all you have is a potluck where you know everybody's name and you're not going out and you're not concerned about the lost and you're not being taught like the real truth, not just the happy truth, and, 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 you get, and you get Brussels sprouts and, and you get carrots and celery and beans and all of that good, and not just, not just you know, ho-hos and ding-dongs and candy canes, right? right. Yeah. Then, then, then you're in a church that believes the whole gospel, the full gospel. We just can't live, connect, and grow. There needs to be a going element to what God has called us to do and to be. Otherwise, you're totally, you're totally skewed. You have the wrong, it's like looking at the world through a kaleidoscope and thinking you know where you're going. You can go and you can do it. I got, one of the, one of the greatest parables in the Bible, not to my, not, it, it gives us such clarity about the gospel. And that is where you have this Jewish man that's been beaten up and robbed and thrown into a ditch for dead. And all these people pass by him and they never do anything about it. The religious people, the holy people. Oh, I, I can't soil my hands. In fact, I would be late to church if I helped you. <laughs> right? I'd be late to church if I helped you. Okay, I'd be late to connect group. If I stopped and I, if I helped that person with a flat. Anyway, so here's this guy. He's been beat up. He's tossed in the ditch. And, and then along comes an individual who's not a Jew. In fact, he's not very well liked in the community. He's a Samaritan. And there's a whole suitcase to unpack about Samaritans. They had perverted the gospel. And they had added a bunch of stuff. And it was just a mess. But the Samaritan 
did the right thing. He did the right thing. And he helped this Jew up out of the ditch. He got off his own donkey and put this man on his own donkey, on his rich Corinthian leather Cadillac seat. I mean, on his donkey. Well, he stinketh. He's bloody. He's been beat up, but he can still ride on my donkey. That's okay. I'll walk beside him. Then we get to the inn of the Good Samaritan is what it's called in the Bible. It's just on on the Jericho Road from Jerusalem down to Jericho, about 20 miles. And uh, there's actually actually a a little church there on the side of the road where tradition says this is where this story happened. And uh, the man who has helped, the Samaritan who's helped this man out of the ditch, he says, please take care of him. Or not, here he is. No, take care of him bandage up his wounds, and I will pay the bill. I know he doesn't even like me. That Jew doesn't even like me. He thinks I'm a twisted heathen. If we were to meet on the road, he wouldn't even talk to me, but I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to pay his bill. So you just rack it up, and I'm going to come back, and when, when it's all done, I will settle up with you, and I will pay for the healing of this individual who's been riding on my donkey now. This is all in response to a question that Jesus was asked. Who's my neighbor? Jesus says, well, there was this man and went into this story of the Good Samaritan. What's interesting about the story, well, about all parables, parables, parabolic literature should always be interpreted for one main point unless otherwise denoted by the person speaking the parable. That's theology 101. You do not allegorize parables by saying, oh, the donkey was this and the man was this and the inn was the church. No, you get yourself in trouble because allegories eventually all fall apart. I may be a little bit down in the weeds, but this is important. Generally speaking, the parable will always be interpreted for one main point. So what's the point? I'm going to tell you what the point of the Good Samaritan is. Because at the end of it, the last words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 37, were this. Go and do likewise. Go and do. Go and do. You can go and you can do it. Hello? The, the very end of that parable, I'm trying to figure it out, the man demonstrated what you were supposed to do when you went. Jesus said, now you, you can go and you can do likewise. That was the last of the parable. What was the last words of Jesus? Well, Jesus was saying in our text, go into all the world, that you can go and that you can do it. I know you've got excuses. I have excuses. Every time presented with an opportunity to go and do. This is not convenient. I'm tired. I've got my own life. That person looks really needy. They're going to attach themselves to me like a leech. If we can't have real, relevant conversations, we're just spinning our wheels in the mud, right? We got to be able to talk like genuine. Why don't we go and why don't we do? Well, all of those excuses, those are your excuses. You own them, right? You'll have to stand before the Lord and say why you used those excuses. Well, they're just, they're just going to suck the life. But that's because you're poor at setting boundaries in your life. Just because somebody asked you doesn't mean you have to do it. You gave them a ride. Now they're getting out of the car. They turn and look at you and say, hey, you got 100 bucks? Right? I mean, who couldn't use $100? I mean, if I said, who could use $100? I bet you every hand in the place would, of course. They just have the chutzpah to ask you for it. You can say, no, I gave you a ride. You know, here you go. Because you're just poor at setting boundaries. That's why you don't do the gospel. Or you have other priorities. That's why you don't go and do. Because, you know, I'm a very busy person, you know. My schedule's very tight. Well, Jesus didn't say go and do unless you're really busy. Then that would be okay. I understand how busy you're going to be in the year 2021. I mean, the whole COVID mess and everything and the kids and school. I got it, you know, and, and volleyball and then basketball and then baseball and then track and then choir and all the other. And then selling light bulbs and candy bars. You know, that's about to start. Hello. 
You know they're going to be selling light bulbs pretty soon. I know how busy you are, but those, those are just excuses why you don't go and why you don't do it. I'm going to introduce you to a concept you may be unfamiliar with. It's called the 1040 window. Take a look at this. This is a part of the earth that is uh, between the 10th latitude, latitudes go this way, and the 40th latitude. I mean, if you were to take this over, the 10th actually comes through, uh, I believe it's Costa Rica, and in America, the 40th parallel happens just north of Williamsville before Eckert, Eckhart, Eckert, Eckhart. Eckhart. I've only lived here 30 years. I don't know. Been there one time in my life. <clears throat> but this is, the called, this is called the 1040 window. I want, I want to introduce this concept to you. In the world of missions, it's a pretty big deal because those in that window, you have the 54 least reached countries in the world. You have the 54 most least reached countries in the world. Out of 195 countries in the world, there's 195 countries, 54 of them are in this window. It's called the 1040 window. And this is, uh, this is the situation. <clears throat> Some of the countries, I got the whole list here, Afghanistan, China, Egypt, India, Kuwait, Mali, Morocco, on and on and on and on. Of the world's population, 4 billion, or 69% of the world's population lives in that square. Of that, in that square, that square represents 82% of the world's poor in that square. Of the unreached people in the world, those people that have not heard the gospel, 97% of the people in the world who have not heard the gospel live in that square. But one half of 1% of Christian giving goes into that square. That's stark. Of all the missionaries in the world, the Christian missionaries, only 7% are in the 1040 window. And of the 11,200 people groups in the world, that's all people groups in the world, 11,200, 6,600 of them are unreached and they live in that square. That's the 1040 window. To get your arms around that, Afghanistan, you know Afghanistan, you know what's happened in Afghanistan. Before all that hit the fan in Afghanistan, there was only 10 to 12,000 Christians in the whole country. Who They say that there's, if, if, if there are any, we don't know of them. Zero Christians in Afghanistan. China, less than 2% are Christian. India, 2.3%. Morocco, less than 1%. Niger, where my wife was just a couple years ago, estimated Christian population at 0.4%. And of those people who say they're Christians, let's pare it down to those who are considered evangelical Christians, less than 0.1%. That's what you find in that square. We got to do better, people. We got to do better. Well, I know all my Christian friends and my Christian circle and my Christian this, and we got to do better. If 82% of the world lives in that square, and only 7% of Christian missionaries are in that square, and less than 1% of Christian missions giving goes to that rectangle, that's really, really a sad indictment on our ability to go. Well, I, I, I can't go. Of course you could. Of course you could. A year from today, every one of you could be in one of those countries. Absolutely. Well, I have to quit my job. Yep. I have to learn a foreign language. Most likely. I have to cover my face to live in that country. Maybe. I wouldn't have 110 volt electricity. Nope, probably not. I'd have to go buy my water, or get it out of a creek, and then filter it and clean it. Yeah, maybe. But we could. You all can go. And you all can do it. Jesus, 
in Luke chapter four says what it is. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath, Shabbat, he went into the synagogue as was his custom because Jesus went to church. He stood up to read and then the scroll, the prophet was handed to him because that's what they did. They just passed it around each week and different people read. And turning to the scroll, it was, it was that reading for that particular week. It's very controlled, what, what gets read and, and the order that gets read. He stood up, and verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he unrolled it, and he found the place where it was written this. Verse number 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Proclaim, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and the release of the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. What is he going to say about it? It's time for him to exegete the text. And he began by saying this, today, that scripture is fulfilled within your hearing. So from there, he went out from the synagogue. He went out to the edge of the Sea of Galilee and he started calling the most educated people the most well put together, the best dressed people he could find, the most affluent people who drove the nicest donkeys, who lived in the most plush tents. He went and found those men and he said, you look like you really know what's going on. You should come follow me. No, that's not what he did. What did he do? He went and got a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, everybody go boo, <laughs> tax collectors, he got a couple militiamen in there. I don't know if you know what a zealot is, but he got a couple of them. He got, every one of them were rabbi, rabbi school dropouts. I mean, that was the top of the pecking order, man. You were a rabbi, you were the man. Every mama wants her son to go to rabbi school so he can be the man. These guys obviously flunked out of rabbi school. They were flunkies. They didn't know the books of the Bible. They probably, I mean, our kids are learning the book, the order of the books of the Bible in, I mean, hard pressed. Some of you might not be able to tell me what the 66 books of the Bible are in order from beginning to end. Well, now you're scaring me. Don't call on me, pastor. Don't call, don't you dare call on me. Come on, make eye contact with me. I'll, I'll, I'll have you stand right now. Now, some of you, those of you know it, like, yeah, yeah, I know the song. I know the song. I know how it goes. But some of you are nervous. Ten Commandments. You're more likely to know the seven dwarfs than the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Some people, right? We're chuckling because we're all a little nervous. I need to know more before I go, yeah, you should know some things like, are you saved? See, I may not know how to do something, but then once I do it, I can tell you how I did it. I don't feel comfortable doing something on my car but if Ryan says, here, you can, let me show you how to do that. So, oh, yeah, I know how to change my brakes, or I can change my oil, or I can do that, blah, 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 blah. Well, then I can tell David how to do it. If you're saved, that's all the information you know. You just go, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. That's an amazing grace. Would you like what I got? I mean, the woman at the well, she went back into Jesus said, don't even come with me. Go back into town, tell everybody, and there was a revival. She was saved like uh, maybe a day. I, and all she said, I found him, I found him, I found him, I found him, the one who knew everything about me, I found him. So you can go, and you can, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Just do it! <laughs> he needs you to go and do so I don't want to be, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but I want you to hear what I have to say. The Lord gave us an order to go. So the question is, why are you here? Now, granted, there are people in other countries that are coming here. There are other countries that are looking at America and they're going, oh my, 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 they are in trouble. We should send Christian missionaries to America. That's what's happening in the world today. I don't know if you realize this or not, but other born-again Holy Ghost churches in other parts of the world are sending missionaries to America because they see the mess that we're in. 
So if one of them is in the room this morning, you're excused when I ask, why are you here? Because they've heard the call and they went and they did. They realized they could do it. So the only excuse for not going, I'm going to give you the excuse if you want it. It's this. The only excuse you have for not going is because Jesus told you to stay here. That's the only excuse you got because he said, stay right here. That means the Great Commission then must not always be about geographical areas. It must be about your area that God has called you to. In other words, if you're not going to Thailand or Tunisia or Turkey, which are all in 1040 window, then where are you going? You should be going somewhere. How about your card club? I am sent to the women in my card club. That's a missionary statement. That's a ghost statement. I am sent to my car club. I'm sent to the bowling team that I am on. I am going with a mission. I'm just not lollygagging through life. But I have a mission. I have a mission. I am on a mission from God. Every one of you are, if you understand what the Bible is all about. You can go and you can do it. You are called to go. And if you're not going, you better have a darn good reason why you're not going to Tunisia or Turkey. It's because God's called me to my parent-teacher organization in my public school. My God, my God has called me to my workplace. Some people just made me, Pastor, you need to pray. I got to get a new job. Nobody at my church, nobody at my work is saved. I'm like, what? I got to get out of that place. Nobody at my work is saved. What? You've been called to that place. I remember the day you came to me and you said how happy you were that God gave you that job. And now you want me to pray you out of that job? Because it got really hard and nobody there else is a Christian. They pick on you all the time. Well, heads up, you're always going to be picked on. You're, let me just relieve you of the, of the idea that people are not going to like you for standing up for Jesus. Can I just tell you that? Right? They're going to find something wrong with you. Even if it's not wrong with you, they'll say it's wrong with you. My mother-in-law died over a year ago. She left a mink coat. I said, I got to sell that thing. That's probably worth some money. So I called the furrier who made her mink coat and told me, they told me the mink coat was worth $5,000. I have a certificate of authenticity for a mink coat that's worth $5,000 hanging in my basement. I'm like, I, I got to do something with that. He goes, well, take some good pictures, put it online, start at $1,000. This is the man who made the mink coat. The furrier, bronze furrier in Bloomington and Peoria. Put it online. Comments galore. Well, it must be nice that you put your wife in a mink coat and this, you're just so wealthy that... that and I told him, they said, what'd you say? I said, I said nothing. No matter what I do, it's not going to be good enough or right for someone else. And then you don't have to defend yourself. I mean, the Lord will defend you. The Lord is at your right hand. The enemy will come at you. You'll defeat him. Don't worry about that. Just know that your heart is clean. Your, your hands are clean. Your heart is pure. You do what you got to do. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Oh, I could never say a thing. They would put me down. They'd call me crazy. Well, that's just the beginning. They might eventually hang you or light you on fire or feed you to the lions. And if you think I'm kidding, your eyes are not open. Go be a Christian in Afghanistan today. They'll cut your head off. The Taliban will cut your head off. Some of you are alive enough to know just before all this started, in 2011, they were cutting the heads off of uh, journalists, slicing them right off there on the YouTube so you could watch it. We're talking about demonic brutality, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get, get a little thicker skin. Be willing to stand up for Jesus because when you go, whether it's to Tunisia or your tennis club, you're going to get persecuted. And if you think staying here is going to eliminate the amount of persecution that you have in your life, you're sorely mistaken. Hallelujah.
So if you're not living in Algeria or Cambodia or Nepal, Nepal then, the, then you have to answer the question, why are you living here? All right, because we all got to go. And I told you with the 1040 window, that's a great target. Just pick one and do it. Well, I got to be called there. No, you don't. You just go there. What call? What I need a call? Okay, go to all the world and preach the gospel. How about that one? Is that working for you? Well, I just don't feel led. Quit it. Just quit it. Just stop it. You know why? You're deluding yourself. You're fooling yourself. You're giving yourself an excuse why you're not going and why you're not doing. Listen, if your feet are getting stepped on, your toes are getting stepped on because you're sticking out. We all have a place to go. And if it's not Tunisia, then where? That's all I'm asking. Because you got to have a purpose. And it's not just to live, connect, and grow. Grow, 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 grow. Big church head, big, big, big church. If we never get any, that's fine with me. I've got to know, I would rather have, t- <laughs> I'd rather have 10 Navy SEALs than a thousand just, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I want Christians that like are in a Black Hawk helicopter at midnight and they're, they're putting grease paint on and they slide down a, the rope upside down and they land in a swamp and they got, and they're, G- I was raised in the land of G.I. Joe. Can I just say that? G.I. Joe was cool when I was a kid. Now it's G.I. Jane. Where is your sense of adventure? Really? I mean, because it's a venture. I mean, didn't Stephen Curtis Chapman call it the great adventure? Live, connect, grow, and go. Oh, it's like the four wheels of a car. Live, connect, grow, and go. It's the four wheels of a car. Yes, you can use that analogy if you want, but it better not be a Prius. (laughs) I'm not anti-Prius. I'm just pro-monster truck. (laughs) The gospel, ladies and gentlemen, is a four-wheel vehicle called Live, Connect, Grow, and Go. And if you, trikes tip over too easy. I think they're outlawed nowadays, aren't they? The little ATVs that used to be trikes, remember those things? They don't even let you do those things anymore. Unless you have the fourth wheel of go, you can spin your wheels. You're just gonna spin your wheels. We must have all four, it's four, this is a four-wheel drive vehicle, and we have to be going, we have to be. And if it's not too Iraq or Egypt or, or Morocco or Monaco, where are you going? What is your go? You can go. You can do it. If you don't have a target, you're never going to hit it. You want to go out target practice? Okay, sure. Where's the target? Don't have any. Let's just shoot stuff. It doesn't work. You know. So what do you do when you go? Well, Jesus, when he was in the synagogue, said, here's what we're going to do. Because you read the scroll, right? He said, we're going to preach the good news of the poor. We're going to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. We're going to talk about recovery of sight to the blind, release the oppressed. And then we're going to proclaim the Lord's favor. That does not sound hard. Hey, let me tell you how good God is. Here's what God did for me. Well, if you don't have a testimony, then you're a testifony. You got to have a testimony. If God, if you're saved, if you say, yeah, God is the Lord of my life, then tell me about him. Tell me about what he did. The Bible says every man should be ready to give an answer why they have a hope in Jesus. Tell me about the day that you met Jesus. Well, you know, I don't remember exactly. That's okay. Where did the light finally turn on? Right? I mean, in my kitchen, I don't have a light switch. I have a rheostat. And you can start slowly dialing that rheostat, but then eventually at some moment, the light does turn on. It may be not the full 100 watts, it's just maybe a little 10. And some of you may not have a light switch moment in your life, you just have a rheostat moment. And over time, you came to the realization, like, man, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Then that's your testimony. Well, you know, I prayed with it. I did, this guy, he said he was a Christian. And then, you know, I asked him, are you a Christian? And he didn't know if he was a Christian, but he had been telling me he was a Christian. Let me tell you this. It took more than one time for me to say the Lord's Prayer before it stuck. I don't know that, that how it worked for you, 
But there was more than one time I looked in the mirror and I said, oh God, I need you. God, please don't let the, I mean, please don't let the police get, no, Lord Jesus, I need, you know, foxhole prayers, foxhole salvations or whatever. Ah, yeah, okay, whatever. But I know the day that it's stuck. If you don't have that as a test, somewhere in your life you say, I know that I know Jesus is the Lord of my life. Let me tell you what he did for me. I once was this, but now I'm that. I once was that, now I'm this. I'm not that perfectly. I still screw up, but that, that's, that's where I'm headed. That's what I want. I'm going to be a child of God. I am a child of God. I'm not a slave to fear. Yeah, sometimes I get afraid, eh, 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 but this is what I want. I'm turning my back on all of that, pleasing all everybody else. and, and that, I'm ple- I want to be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. Let me tell you about that. That testimony resounds in everyone's heart, whether they live in the 1040 window or they go to your supper club. So you got to go because you can go and you can do it. Now, if you're not going to the 1040 window, where are you going? What target do you have? What are you shooting at? It's my workplace. Okay, make it be your workplace. But let me submit to you today that first and foremost, it should be to your family, to your kids. Kids are under attack today. Kids are under assault. Well, little Johnny, you don't want to be Johnny today? You want to be Jane? Okay, that's fine. Here's the girl's dressing room. What? Protect your kids. Teach them the gospel. No, I want to go to Tunisia. That's great. You got two kids. How about you raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and you make them your mission field and you pour your life into them and you just don't throw them to the lions of society and think that that's going to be good enough. No, it's your responsibility to take care of your kids. It's your responsibility to teach them right from wrong. Well, we're just going to let them decide. We're going to let them decide. I'm, you know, little Johnny, he, and I'm just going to give him a dirty look like he should know. Him. No, no, no. You say, no, don't do that. Don't touch that. Well, you hurt my feelings. I don't care if I hurt your feelings, Johnny. I'm dad. Well, I don't want to sit down. You will sit down or I'll make you sit down. Do you understand how this works, Johnny? I'm the adult and you're the child. I'm the boss. You're not the boss. Now, when you're 18, you can do whatever you want. But until such time and your feet are under my table, you're eating my food, sleeping in my bed, I will be the boss of the house. Do you understand that, Johnny? Now, if that doesn't start when they're two and you try to do that when they're 13, they're going to punch you in the face. And it starts when the two-year-old grabs something from you or they hit you in the face at two and you kind of laugh it off and think it's funny. It's not funny. Teach your children. They are your mission field. Train them in the fear of the Lord and you represent the Lord to them. (sighs) Parents. Listen, I feel well qualified. I'm a grandparent now. I've run the gauntlet of parentdom. Let me give you a newsflash. Your kid is not going to be a major league anything player. They're not going to make the big leagues in football. They're not going to make the big leagues in hockey or soccer or whatever sport you got them in. You think I'm kidding. 26, here's, here's, here's a stat this, this week. 26% of American parents whose children play a high school sport believe to their core that their child is professional sport material. 26% of American parents are probably stoned most of the time when they think that. (laughs) 26% of American adults who think that their kid is ready for the the prime time. Let Let me give you the statistic. Here it is. 0.0296% of your children will end up becoming a professional athlete. But here's a better one. 0.008, one eight thousandth of a percent chance that your child will be a celebrity. A 100% certainty that your child will stand before Jesus. Okay? All right? 
Let's just have a little cup of cold water in the face. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Get a reality check. You got them out on the practice field morning, night, and noon, three days a week, and da 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 whatever, and you're running yourself crazy because little Johnny's going to be a professional soccer player. Wake up. You're stupid. <laughs> well, no, ignorant. I just educated you. So you're only ignorant. Now, if you persist, then you're stupid. Because you can fix ignorant. You can't fix stupid. You just, just be honest, right? You were just ignorant. Now I've educated you. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. The odds to the 0.008%, one eight thousandths of a percent chance that they will, I feel fairly comfortable in saying your child is not going to make the professional sport league. But I'm 100% sure you and them will stand shoulder to shoulder at the altar of God, and you're going to have to give an account how you invested your time and energy in their life. I'm not saying don't play soccer. I'm not saying don't play baseball or basketball or va. That's Please understand, my daughter did all that stuff in school too, but she was always at church. Every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, she was there all the time because that's just a priority of the family. Let me, let me, let me, bring, you, let me bring you to someplace close to landing this. First of all, understand that it is a commission, meaning we're going to do this together. When you go and you do, you're not alone. You're not, you don't have to do this alone. That's why people were sent. They just didn't went, right? We know, all of the, we know a lot that just went. Went off half-cocked. That's not what I'm saying. You can be sent. Pastor, I feel like I'm called to this workplace. Pastor, I feel like I'm called to government. Pastor, I feel like I'm called to this industry or that industry. That's as valid as going to Algeria. Why? Because you have intentionality. You have a target. Hello? Yeah. All right. So that's, that's, a, that's our commission. But we just don't have any old commission. We have what? The Great Commission. This is the Great Commission. Uh, it took a thesaurus, but we got this. Enormous, extreme, immense, mammoth, colossal, humongous, outstanding, and paramount. That's our mission. It's large. Why is it so great? Why is, it, why is it called the Great Commission? It's because who said it? Like, if I gave you a, a mission, go to Hy-Vee and buy me a pack of Mountain Dew. <clears throat> You're on a mission. And take him with you. You're on a co-mission. <laughs> right? You walk into Hy-Vee and you buy that because Pastor Eric said he wanted Mountain Dew. He sent you on a mission. Right? Listen. You're on a great commission because of who sent you. I'm not sending you. I'm just reminding you of who told you to go. This is not my deal. This is his deal. I'm only supposed to be his mouthpiece reminding you. You should be doing that. You should be doing that. And if you're not, you're just a three-wheeled trike with a little handlebar, rinky-dink little bell. Rinky, 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 whatever that, you know. That's how a lot of Christians go through life. They never graduate to the fourth gear, to the fourth wheel. It's an adventure. Why is, it a, why is it a great commission? Not only because of who said it, but when he said it. It's the end of his life. He said, go to all the world, preach the gospel. That was it. I mean, the last thing you say is kind of an important thing. If you're on your deathbed, baby, come here. Come here, sweetheart. I'll tell you something. There's frozen pizza downstairs in the freezer. That's stupid. Why would I make that the last thing I would ever say? Reminding my wife, there's frozen pizza in the, pe in the freezer downstairs. No, it'd be, no, come here. The most important, I love you, right? The last thing you say, that's an important thing. This is what Jesus said. Go, go, go and preach the gospel. Because it's your marching order. You can go and you can do it because you have the authority to do it and you have the power to do it. There's a difference between power and authority. The policeman has both. He has his badge. You come running down the street. He holds up the badge, one on his shirt or one in his pocket. He says, hey, hey, stop. What do you do? You stop. If you don't stop because he has the authority, then he whips out the power. There's a difference between power and authority. And he says, all authority, all power I've given you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. Go. You can do it. You can go, and you can do it. This is our mantra this morning. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, neighbor, you can go, and you can do it. Stand with me this morning.
How much power, how much authority? Well, you got the power of the Holy Spirit. That's everything. That's the power of the Godhead. How much authority? All authority. Who gave you the commission? Jesus gave you the commission. Well, that's the mission of I Worship Center. That's the mission of Cherry Hills Baptist. That's the mission of, uh, of uh, Westside Christian. That's the mission of, yeah, it should be, of every church. Unfortunately, it's not. We just need to be reminded. Yes, come alive in Christ. Get connected. Grow, grow up. But then what are you going to do? Now what? Now what? You got to go. So just close your eyes with me for a moment. Those of you that are online or watching uh, by television, just take a minute and see if there's a target in your life. Are you aiming at something or just kind of meandering through life? Listen, if you want to go to a foreign country, we'll help you get there. If you want to be a missionary in a foreign country, you can go and you can do it. If your people, the people that God is calling you to are in a particular job, a certain portion of society, uh, what, what, you just have to know where it is that God is pointing you. Because if you're not going to the 1040 window, the question is, then why are you here and what are you going towards? Where is your go? That's our go, Lord. We're ready. Send us. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. Father, our hearts are filled today with anticipation of what you're doing in the world today. The world is in such a massive mess and in need of the light and the life that comes through a relationship with you. May we be faithful to open our mouth, even, in the, even with pressure of persecution, to stand up for what we know is truth. May we be the light. May we be the salt that you called us to be. And so may the peace of God guard and protect your heart and send you into that harvest field today and every morning with intentionality of sharing the love of Jesus. And now may he keep you and bless you and protect you. And if you're away from God and you need to come back to God, this is the moment you just say, Jesus, I'm praying that prayer again and it's gonna stick. You are the king of my life right now. I will never go back to that old way of life. I will love and serve you for your glory in Jesus' name. Father, we bless you. We ask that you keep us. Bring us back tonight for a wonderful time celebrating your death and burial and resurrection through communion and a time of worship. Until then, Lord, keep us in your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.